My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Bedhead had no time for or interest in anything extraneous to the music. And this is what it sounded like. Serious, intense, smart, beautiful, occasionally frightening. Those are the words of Pitchfork writer Mark Richardson reviewing the Bedhead career retrospective 1992 to 1998. Today on the show, I am joined by the Cadane brothers who founded Bedhead in the early 90s in Texas. Matt calling in from his place in New York where he teaches history, and Bubba from Texas where he composes music for film and television. One of the defining bands of the slowcore genre, Bedhead had three guitars, but the sound was sparse, melding post-punk to humming Velvet's inspired intensity. Following the end of Bedhead, they formed another pioneering indie rock band, The New Year and they've dabbled in side projects all along the way, including overseas with David Bazan of Pedro the Lion and Will Johnson of Centromatic, and Bubba's ambient project, Sigh of Relief. On this episode of Transmissions, we dig into their history and idiosyncratic approach, exploring how they worked remotely and by telephone long before that was standard, the space carved out by their unique sound, their cover of Shares Believe, and a lot more. But before we press play on our recording, another announcement here for you. This is the penultimate episode of this season of Transmissions before we settle into a winter break. The 2022 season has been such a blast and we're already hard at work on our early 2023 episodes. Over the last year, I've been privileged to share so many great talks with people like Panda Bear and Sonic Boom, Kurt Vile, Steve Shelley and Lee Ronaldo of Sonic Youth, Circa De You, Kate LeBon, lots more. If you dig our conversations about music, art, and culture with these folks, you can help us keep creating the show by checking out Aquarium Drunkard on Patreon. Not only will you help support us, but you'll get access to cool bonus stuff, including some bonus podcast content that will be going up over the break. All right, plug concluded. Let's get into it. This is the Cadane Brothers Indie rock lifers and you're tuned in to aquarium drunkard transmissions uh thank you both for taking the time to join us here on aquarium drunkard transmissions yeah, our our pleasure. Sorry. Thanks for having us. So so where where am I speaking to the both of you from right now? Uh I uh, am oh go ahead, Bob. Oh, I'm I'm in Dallas, Texas. And I'm in Ithaca, New York. Or outside of Ithaca. Cool. So you guys are in your norm you're in your normal spots, uh, where you where yeah. you where you tend to be. Yeah. That's Probably. awesome. That's awesome. Oh. For for a band that is, you know, obviously so associated with with Texas, uh, you know, it, it, it's always tempting to. I don't know. I've just I've been thinking a lot about Texas getting ready for this interview, and so um, I wonder, Matt, Matt, how long has it been since you left Texas? Uh, it's uh, it's coming up on thirty years. Well, geez, yeah. So it's been yeah. for for uh, for uh, yeah, pretty much the entirety of the. Uh, of the the new year's lifespan at least well in bedhead too so we um what fun life was came out in april of 94 and i moved a couple months later okay yeah really you know all the touring we did for that record and every other record that we did um 
you know, we did easily enough because we could, we could move around, uh, especially back then in the nineties when it was much easier and cheaper to get on a plane. But we, you know, and I still felt connected to Texas, but we weren't all living in Texas. And Tinch was, um, he was living, uh, in, I think, New York just a few months after I left. So he, he was out of state for most of the time too. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, were, were in, in, in those days, uh, you already kind of referenced the fact that traveling was maybe a little cheaper overall. So, so that's not a big, huge concern. You guys were always, was it always a situation where when it came time to work on a record, um, you guys would get together previously and woodshop stuff and workshop it and then head into a studio or were you uh, trading demos back and forth in those days, almost a pre precursor to the remote recording that is so common now? Oh, well, trading demos. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, and I, it's a little awkward because I, I don't know who should speak first. You may, um, you want to hear from Bob? Oh, you, you, no, go ahead. <laughs> well, we 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 traded demos, so I mean, we you know went to the post office and sent each other cassettes, um, yeah, yeah, nonstop, you know. And uh, then we'd get together with the band and show them the the most worked out version of the song on the cassette, and we would generally just try to you know play it as it existed. Um, and uh so you know the the woodshedding part of the process was us just practicing the song learning the song and practicing the song um but yeah that that it's funny to think about that but we you know i stopped using a cassette multi-track uh machine in 2005 when some big object fell on my um my task and port studio and then it was just it was all over. I had to give it up. I would have kept going for a while, but <laughs> it was only then that we moved to um, Cubase, and that you know that was pretty great. Once we could just email stuff. Although Bubba can correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, I have like I have so many CDs. Uh, you know, we were sending each other back CDs for a long time because you couldn't yeah. get audio files through email until I don't know. When yeah, no, we well, couldn't transfer large files very easily. So we, but, we just yeah. have so many burned CDs. I have <laughs> hundreds of just burned CDs of just like five seconds of a song. You yeah. Know? <laughs> wow. All unlabeled. Yeah. So, so pretty you know, di- Yeah. Cause it, it was also the case too, where we were, cause we, you know, even though Matt left in 94, you know, the band started around 91 or so. So we had played together pretty nonstop for those three years and recorded the first record and everything. But then when he and Tinch left, it was a pretty crazy practice experience with me and, and Trini and, and we, because we had a practice space uh, in the, by the attached to the garage in my house and the rental house that I had. And, uh, and so I, we were just doing these skeletal practices where I was trying to, you know, mimic the guitar three different guitar parts at yeah. different times and just get it just getting the bass and drums down really right, right. and then matt and matt and tinch would come in town there so there was a lot of that it was just matt and i tried to get everything down as tight as we possibly could in terms of the recording so that we could show those guys and then we could just work on the different sections right um of everything and so then when matt and tinch came in they knew the their parts and everything because Matt, which well, I guess Matt, you and Tinch, would Tinch get together, and I would get right? together and practice. Yeah, so we were really yeah. Practicing. So they y'all were y'all, y'all were doing that the the you know half of the guitar section, <laughs> and then I was doing my guitar section and then practicing the rhythm section, and then we put it all together, and it was you know it never took too long to lock into place and work out details but that's basically how it went yeah that's so fascinating to think about this pre this pre-digital time but you're still faced with a lot of the you know nowadays i think so many of the records that were made over the course of the last couple years due to the necessity of a lot of people not being able to get together 
people have really embraced remote recording. And I think there's a lot of people who worked that way previous as well. And I, I think, you know, the there's no one right way to make it work. And it sounds like you guys had a way that that worked, although, yeah, it's it's, it's maybe a little bit of a kind of a juggling act, it sounded like. But that's right. that's cool. Well, I mean. And we also did it probably four different ways. So it's not like we yeah. had one set way. We did it we did a traditional band way um, early on. Then we did, you know, practicing in sections, like I just said, but then eventually playing it together as a band live. And then we kind of had a hybrid approach for the new year yeah. um, where it was still playing all together live. It wasn't like rehearsing or, you know, practicing in sections or whatever. It sort of was, but not that much. Cause, uh, and then we got together, but we did then also have like the technology come into play. Where I think, I mean, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was kind of, because Newness Ends was the fastest record we ever made. And so we recorded it and mixed it all in like a 10 or 12 day period. But then with The End Is Near, that was when we first kind of started adding certain things from home studios. Well, uh-huh put it in quotes, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and then, and then by the time third new year record came out, there was a little more of that going on. And then I, then by the time snow came out, there was a lot more of, of recording. It was recorded really in like four different places. Sure. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. But, yeah. And, and barely any of it live. You know? <laughs> you know, you know, what's funny too, probably that I've never thought of is that when, um, especially when the new year first started, Brokaw and I lived in the same town. D'Onofrio wasn't far away. And the three of us would practice, and you and, and Schmidt would practice. You guys yeah. became, you yeah. know, me and Tinch, and we were doing the rhythm section stuff up in Boston. No, it's true. It totally uh, reversed. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. hadn't thought about that either, but... I mean, but yeah, we did it, it, it kind it was, of every which way. And I, there, there, like you said, there's no best way to do it. Right, right. <laughs> I think the one thing that I always regretted was that we didn't have time to, uh, I mean, this is not a major regret at all, but we never really had time to learn covers. Um, just even stuff right. like stuff that we could just play three times and, you know, practice three times and then we kind of knew. And then if we had to play it, we could play it because, you know, every ounce of practice time was kind of dedicated when we were all together it was just dedicated to us making sure we we knew the songs well so bands that are in the same town and play together all the time i mean you know they have like a hundred covers i'm sure in some cases that they know right that they can because they're just <laughs> you know we 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 could you know play five seconds of hot for teacher but we couldn't do the whole song you know <laughs> i do was, i do i really do want to hear the bedhead cover uh bedhead or new year cover of hot for teacher um, we, we have a little bit of it we have like <laughs> 10 seconds i'm kidding with the example but i'm also not kidding and we were going through the uh before the the numero box set came out we were going through all the old tapes and we found you know 10 seconds of hot for teacher it was terrible um we were like yeah i mean you know we we don't we just don't have much of that stuff we don't definitely don't have it on tape uh but and that was one and that was i think that was only because like you know back in the days of tape you were you were just thinking oh yeah there's i don't know was there like 30 seconds left on the tape (laughs) yeah (laughs) so and and you just like you you just wanted to you wanted to use this hundred dollar tape as much as you possibly could. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Even if sure. it just meant thirty seconds of hot for teacher. It's like, eh, it's worth it. Yeah. I it's totally worth it. I didn't I did make note. I mean, so obviously uh, Bedhead did cover uh, a Joy Division song and then when I was combing through other stuff, uh I see that on that that uh Matcha Loved Bedhead record, you also cover Shares Believe, which is uh I hadn't heard that before getting ready for this interview. It's a really cool cover. Oh, well thanks. I mean that you know, uh Josh um McKay was, you know, wanted to do a cover of of one song and you know, I was like, yeah, I don't, I think we, I, the above, can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure the idea behind that record was to get them to 30 minutes so they could go back to their record label and say, we made another LP. So yeah, there's like, they're like 81 or 82 versions. Well, you know, of a song with quotation marks around it, which we called, how are your windows? And they're, you know, that many versions because that got us to 30 minutes. 
Um, <laughs> and you know the and so with the, a cover was going to you know help ensure that the how your windows came along after the cover you know was only so long. And, well, um, and yeah, and also too that yeah that I mean was that was that like I think at first we didn't. We just wanted to do something with them because Matt and I have been friends with those guys since the 70s, seriously. And uh, we wanted to do something with them. And so Matt and I recorded kind of the basic things for the four original songs. But then, like you said, Matt, when they when Josh brought up doing the cover, it, I, I mean, I, I didn't even have anything to do with that. Well, because you know, I just know that. Yeah, no, and Josh wanted to do. It was, uh, but it was, well, I guess I should finish my question, which is, did he was at that point when they decided, oh, this should be our contractual obligation record? Yeah, I, <laughs> I think so. No, I, I think Josh had that in mind all along, and he said, and I think he said we should do uh, Dum Dum Boys, the Iggy Pop song, Dum Dum Boys. I think in part because that could go on and on and on. And I was like, I, you know, he wanted me to sing. And I said, I'm not trying to sing that song. It's, you know, it's a great song and I'm not going to do it justice. And he said, okay, well, here's, you know, something completely different. Um, have you heard this, this share song? And, you know, I don't even know if I had, and he played it for me. And I was like, really? Uh, and he, he said, well, you know, we could change it. You know, we could change it up. And, you know, we started changing the lyrics to the, past tense, changing them up a little bit. And, you know, Josh was like, we were talking on the phone. You know, this is another one of those remote things. Yeah. And he was like, okay, well, so what if the melody goes like this? And he plays the melody on the phone uh, and we just do it on the phone. And I'm like, that's, that's, that's awesome. You know, and, and I started liking it more because of, of that. And they, you know, um, and I think in that case, it was the sort of thing where for most of that record, we Bub and I did everything and then sent the, te- well, we did bass and drums and some guitar, and guitar. And to them and said, you finish it. Right. That's right. And guitars and for sure. And said, you guys finish, finish the stuff. And in the case of that chair song, there was a little bit more back and forth. Um, that was the, the, the all, in the case of the other songs, the tape got sent off once they finished it and, and it never got sent back to us. And, yeah. and so we started listening to it, but that was yeah, a, it's a right, it's so. a funny one because I feel like with that song, I mean, I I first off I have a hard time imagining you hadn't heard it, but I mean if you weren't listening to the radio, maybe that's the case because my my memory of it was that it was just everywhere and it was like a dominating song, you know. But listening to that cover, I was like, first off, I've I've long since reconciled myself to the fact that. There's something very interesting about that song as a as a thing that exists, you know, because it's huge and it's it's a weird, unlikely hit from an artist who was considered well past her prime by many people, and it didn't sound like anything. It it was weird. It it sort of sounded like it was from the future, and it turns out right. that it was because it, it it sort of presaged so much of what we now think of as modern pop, but. Hearing you rap your 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 kind of your your find your way into that song was like a really interesting thing uh, because you you bring some you bring some some pathos to it that I think is really pretty pretty nice and it was it was a cool it was a cool thing to listen to you know it's it's in it you know the the lyrics are not I mean you listen to it and you maybe this is true for almost anything that. Um, you know, somebody took seriously, but you know, you get into, I mean, what's crazy is that four people wrote that song. Yeah. I think credit, it's not like a band and it's, you know, Bono, the edge, and he's always (laughs) going to be the same four guys Four you know, people were in a room like brainstorming that song probably for, you know, months. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, there, there are things about it that, I mean, so I, I heard the melody before where I, so I shouldn't say I'd never heard it, but I didn't know what it was. Like, some weird little thing from the future, some transmission, and I didn't ever listen to it. And Josh was like, "No, listen to it. It's actually a, it's a, it's a cool song." And and the auto tune stuff we thought was was uh, was sort of cool. So you know that was well, it was because I I got to hear it fresh because I had nothing to do with it, and and I thought it was cool even though I I might have uh, you know not totally been into the idea if I'd just heard the share song. Sure, 
Uh, but, but I thought it was cool because I thought the auto tune sounded like, uh, and it still does. I guess if I were to, I'm, I'm assuming it still does sound like a, a broken auto tune, um, which right. I thought was cool. You know, it sounded like the whole thing was just a degraded version of of all of the technology that was being used in her song. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is a really cool. A really cool. Like it's like it's fallen. Like it's fallen apart. And, the, and it does kind of fall apart at the end, sort of. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a, that's awesome. I, I was trying to think of stuff like maybe that you don't get asked about every single interview. And another another question on that sort of lane was, while I was looking around on some of the streaming sites, I saw there's another there's like another bedhead now. There's a, a rap bedhead, and I wonder. Have you guys ever got any royalty checks for him, or have has anybody ever conf- oh. confused the two of you? <laughs> oh, you're, you're telling me this for the first time. I don't even know. I, I I'll have to look it up. I had no idea. Well, uh, you know, I, I I was telling Matt this the other day that I never li- I, ne- I don't even use Spotify. I don't have an account or anything, but it's on my computer. And I was telling him a couple weeks ago that whenever my computer restarts which is not very often, but I was installing new software with, and, and Spotify automatically kicks on. Yeah. And I usually just quit it because I, I don't listen to it, but it came on to a, a search that I guess I'd done at one point because I was curious if Numero had put the bedhead stuff on Spotify. Yeah. And so this was probably from five years ago. And so this search popped up. And I saw that I was kind of the thing that surprised me was that the cover of Golden Brown had like 3.2 million listens. So I, I was telling Matt that, like, what the hell happened, you know? Yeah. And, but at the same time, I noticed in the same search that I didn't see the rap bedhead, but I saw another that was like a female artist bedhead or something. And I just thought, oh, God, I can't, you know, we used to kind of try to fight that stuff. And, you know, uh, send the letter or something saying, you know, there, sure. <laughs> there's already a bad head this. And, you know, I guess nowadays you, you kind of notice that sometimes that stuff sort of naturally dies off. It's just some small time thing. And it was so small that they didn't even bother to search for other bedheads. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. It, so it's, it's hard to, to know what to think about something like that, whether it's going to grow beyond you know, what, what we have out there. I don't know, but no, we haven't crossed the streams with anybody to answer your question. We haven't actually gotten, you know, some rap royalties or anything. I was, I was thinking about how, like, like, I remember, especially in like, when you're listening to like eighties records or whatever, there will be like a band, band, like I'm thinking of, uh, was it, uh, the specials UK or whatever. Like you have to like throw a little, a a geographic, uh, Distinguish, well, the, distinguisher the beat i think you're thinking of the beats the, the english beat here but they were the beat they were the beat in britain yeah. and it, and what's you know what's great about that one is that the english beat's a great name um and yeah, they're yeah, totally they're an interesting i mean in some ways it's it's a better name than the beat it's a little bit more distinctive and i mean the beat i guess is sort of like the beatles and maybe that there was <laughs> some sort of resonance there with that but uh I, yeah that's that's a nice you know, happy. Yeah, when, when, we, when we were young buying those English beat records, we had no idea that's why they were called the English beat. Sure, sure. And I know because, yeah, because there's the, the, the US beat, which is Paul Collins. And I think now they go by Paul Collins beat or something. I don't know. So it's like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it all, it um, all, it all works out in its own weird way, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I can't, I, I'm, I've been I was I was thinking, you know, kind of going back and 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 I was blown away when I realized that Snow was that that came out like 5 years ago and that the box set had come out 5 years ago because to me it seemed like that was all just yesterday or whatever that all that stuff happened. Um but Snow is a great record and um I wonder, you know, I think was it was it something like nine years between records uh, when that one came out that there had been between New Year records. Let's see. What, yeah, I think that's right. Is that right? Yeah, I think it was. I mean, yeah. so so that it was two thousand eight. 
Yeah, so that's almost a, a decade, and what that came out in 2017. So, right. so that's almost a decade, and I wondered if, you know, for you guys, uh, was it markedly different releasing a record in 2017 than it was releasing one in 2008? Did it feel like there was kind of a, like, sh- like shifts had occurred? And, and how do you kind of clock those, especially with a band that has been around for so long and uh, and kind of lived through all these different permutations of the music industry well yeah you you put your finger on it i mean there the the shift was epic um i mean touch and go went you know i mean it didn't go completely bankrupt but the touch and go that we knew before we released the third new year record um really ceased to exist months after that record came out and so for us directly there was this big change you know that uh had happened with our label but that's when, you know, there was that, that was the economic crisis. I mean, you know, yeah, the, yeah. things were changing more broadly, but you know, it still felt like we were doing the same thing that we had done in 2005 and when, or 2004, I guess, uh, when the ends not near had come out and when newness ends had come out in 2001. And that felt like the same stuff as with the bedhead records. We, well, we didn't even tour for, uh, for snow, but I mean, the world felt completely different. I mean, that just, you know um yeah and you know and even five years ago feels like a thousand years ago to me so it feels like it's changed yet again but yeah totally yeah now and five years ago feel totally disconnected from everything else for me well to jump Uh, yeah uh, yeah. go ahead bub i'm sorry Uh, no i i I, no I, i was just basically saying i agree it felt totally different um from 2017 to 2008, for sure. The the only thing I'll add is that between those records, we were were you know by our standards, I guess, we're pretty active with um, Dave Bazan and Will Johnson and and this band overseas that we have, and so we made one record and released that record um, in what was that 2013, 2012, yeah, 2011. Um, I think it was. 2013 because weren't we saying if the second one came out it'd be 10 years oh yeah okay and so then so that's i guess that's when it was and and then we uh we played some shows the four of us and then we you know we're going to try to actually finish the second overseas record which we started 10 years ago yeah um and and, you know and almost finished so this one's going to be ridiculous because all the songs are like you know a decade old but we'll go in and and you know add a couple of cymbal crashes and then say well we finished it and you know this was a record that was made in 2022 i'm um i'm really excited yeah. to hear that you know i came i i got into bedhead uh probably through dave bazan and pager the lion like kind of more like before that before that overseas record obviously okay. but um but I just I remember him citing you guys as an influence, you know, in the early 2000s when I was getting into indie rock and or just discovering music really in general. Um, so when that record came out, I was like, whoa, this is this is so cool. And I interviewed D- Dave and Will about it for Aquarium Drunkard. Um, and I remember being really nervous because I felt like I had put my foot in my mouth when I was talking to Dave about the record because I knew that bedhead was a big influence for him and like a, a a real a band that really informed uh and influenced some of the sound of early pedro stuff so i was like what was it like you know being in a room with these guys who you you know i didn't say anything super rude but i i i felt like i had insinuated that he had like ripped you off previously or something <laughs> like that and uh, and then I just started like immediately backtracking and trying to talk my way out of it. And Dave, who I've now interviewed almost more than any other single musician in terms of number of times that I've interviewed him, was like, "Dude, you're fine. Don't don't worry, don't worry." I was kind of I was kind of nervous to be in front of these guys whose music had meant so much to me. Uh, and that's a that's a, that's a pretty accurate observation, but. That record rules, and in that interview, he was like, "We've got another one ready to go. It's going to be out. Who knows how soon? It's it's going to be ready to go." 
And then when I was working on questions for this one, I was like, so was there a massive falling out? Uh, did uh, did Will tell you guys to get bent? What exactly happened with that second one? So I'm, I'm glad to hear that, that maybe it's, uh, you know, that it's that it's still uh, almost done, I guess. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, it, it really is almost done. They're like, Three three vocals that have to be recorded, and we're hoping to do it in a couple months, and then it will be done. Was that that was a record that you guys did all get together, right, and record mostly live? Is that right? Mostly, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there was some of that stuff that Bubba talked about earlier with the last New Year record, where some things were finished up at home studios. But but the one thing that we did with those guys that we had never done. Uh, with the new year of bedhead was, you know, write songs together in, in the studio yeah. and any way we could. I mean, we, we, uh, we were just doing things really differently for us, but you know, at, at certain points, Bubba and I would say to each other, okay, well you th- go off into that room and think of three chords. I'll go off into this room and I'll think of three chords and we'll have a six chord cycle. Let's just see if it works. Um, and then you'd get back together and you're like, well, that one doesn't work. And this one, maybe, you know, and Dave was off somewhere doing something, you know, for his part and Will was off somewhere doing something. And then we'd all get together and we were just trying to move fast and, and, um, you know, do this process driven stuff. And it, it was just super fun. I mean, I love listening to those records. And I, and I, I guess I say that without, you know, feeling um you know a modest or something about saying that because i don't I, I feel like the process was almost beyond our control so that's um, cool there were, you know a lot a lot of things that happened we didn't expect to happen but yeah it was really you know yet another set of you know bubba said there were these four different kinds of experience we had with experiences that we had with bedhead and that was you know a couple more thrown in the mix but but really fun no falling out at all we, we love those guys it's just <laughs> The, we got busy and and we the last time we were in the studio was in uh 2019 right or 18 bubba was 20, it? 20, 2018 I think. 2018 so i mean you know yeah. it might have gotten finished and i i know i saw um bazan when he uh came through town maybe in late 2019 and then you know pandemic hit so we were just you know it just wasn't on our mind at all yeah and uh, other things came up but but yeah december we have a day booked in december to finish it so we actually have studio time booked okay i'll 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 be emailing you guys in december like how did it go let me know Putting your music up online is not always the easiest thing in the world to figure out, but DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and, as an artist, you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music into Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all the major streaming services. You can use it to edit your lyrics and your song credits. So important in the internet age to let people know the kind of people you're collaborating with. And uh, DistroKid makes that easy. You can also see all your stats from the streamers and, of course, add a credit card to purchase album extras. The DistroKid app is available now on iOS and Android. Go to the app or Play Store to download it. Hearing you guys describe these various ways that the band and the bands, plural, have worked, you know, it strikes me as when I when I revisited the the debut, what fun what fun life was like from '94. Obviously, if two, 2008 to 2017 felt like a long time, 94 must feel even farther, you know, even more removed. But it's just nuts to me that for such young guys, it feels like you had a vision that was just super intact and super thought out. Um, right down to having three guitars and it never feels like a just an ungodly tangle of guitars you know what i mean like 
what do you chalk that sort of clarity of vision up to if you're able to think about that from a remove? I mean, does that does that resonate with you that that idea? Because it just feels like right from the beginning, there's a there's a there's a wholeness and sort of a solidity to what you're doing. Well, you know, I, I'll I'm sure Bubba has something to say. I'll just say that to, when Bubba and I look at it, we started playing music together you know, a long time before that first Bedhead record came out. I mean, we, we, we were serious. I mean, we weren't serious to the outsider, but to ourselves, we were serious about what we were doing. Yeah. You know, the first time we like played the, uh, you know, pops concert at, you know, I was in junior high and Bubba was in high school and there was this concert at the high school. And we were like, no, this, we're, we're a credible band. Um, did you, know, you do, did you do an original or did you do a cover? Or? No, no. No, we did a we did a mashup. I can't explain I can't explain this because these weren't bands we really loved or anything. It's just of the time we played a Utopia song, okay. Hammer in My Heart, which is not a good song. It's not worth looking up and listening to. But for some reason it was so I was playing the synthesizer. Bubba was playing a guitar. There was this guy named Kurt who was singing, a guy named Scott on bass and a guy named Andrew on on drums and I don't think any of us liked Utopia. I don't know where it came from because I know the singer didn't like it. I don't know how, don't know how it, we came up it with doesn't it. We make didn't even any own sense. the record. We didn't even own the record. We you had know, Matt, a pretty, Matt, we didn't we I think we were we had it recorded off the radio. We didn't even we own did, the record. We did. We had such a shitty recording off the radio that I learned the song in A sharp and Bubba learned it in A and we played the verse the verses we even the final show we played the verses one half step off and then everything came together in the chorus. And it was actually great because the verses were so fucked up and dissonant and wrong. And the chorus was a relief. You were like, God, I thought it was going to vomit. Now I feel so, and, and it yeah. goes back to the vomit first, but, but, but then we, that wasn't yeah. enough. That wasn't enough. So we, we decided to like tag on the beginning of a minute work song, uh, um, to, to like 30 seconds, like who cares? I mean, why did we even buy? And then to, you know, I don't know. the fine and the final thing was that then we just, when it's over, I mean, it's, it's three horrible things crammed into a single song. Bub and I are just pounding away at what we call an original, you know, just, just to make everybody go home. And, but we thought we were serious back then. And, you know, that was, that was 1981 or something. And, and then we got more serious and, you know, in 85, we felt one way in 86, 87, every year, I'm sure we had, you know, some sort of coherent way that we, to us at the time, we were thinking about things. And we, we worked through all of this stuff. And by the time we got into the nineties, we, we hated everything that we had done. And I think a lot of what we were doing is saying, get rid of that, get rid of this, get rid of that. That was stupid. This was stupid. That was stupid. And what we had left was, you know, a ride cymbal, some guitar notes, some snare beats. And we were like, well, actually, this sounds pretty good. Yeah. Um, so maybe we've landed on something. We, we figured out everything that was wrong. And, you know, we can't, we, we criticize each other and we criticize ourselves. We're like, well, you know, we have fewer criticisms of this. So maybe this is, this is workable and it's, you know, more or less proven to be, you know, workable for a while. Uh, I mean, I I vividly remember that because Matt and I we played with Mish from Matcha. He because he's an old friend. He, we played with him for a while. He was playing drums. Matt was playing bass. And I was playing guitar. And then the this is crazy, but the the fiddle player for the for the Dixie Chicks. Her name is Marty. She, we knew her because she lived here in town, and so she, we got her to play violin for. Uh, parts almost said parts um, <laughs> but we got her to play these these violin parts and then we you know kept working with that but we 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 were so glad that you know we never released any of it because it just was sort of it, it, you know we she wasn't the problem we were it was all just problematic and but what was cool was that we learned along the way that yeah, maybe there should be this sustaining instrument, but maybe not a violin or a viola or whatever. Maybe a guitar could do that. Sure. And so Tinch was kind of playing those parts for them. You know, I, I think, you know, if you had to sort of divide it up that way, it wasn't always that way because we didn't, we only played like five or six songs from those days. 
But I think we picked up things along the way like that, like, you know, this is how you make, how you distinguish the three guitars. But, but I vividly remember when we got Tinch in the band and we had it all together, I might have, I don't, can't remember totally if I, I verbalized this to Matt, but I just remember thinking, this is it. You know, after all this time, this is the most satisfying thing um, that we've done where it feels like we, like Matt was saying, we got rid of certain things, including like he was saying, you know, you sort of get rid of even like parts of the guitar chord, right. you know, and, you know, make deconstruct it a little bit and take, you know, just think, I mean, a song like the end is the end's not near even later on had drums on it originally. And you just, you know, you're still doing that kind of stuff thinking, you know, that's bringing it down. It's, it, it doesn't need it or whatever. And, but I, I do remember thinking the three guitar, bass and drums, but it felt good. Well, you and know, that's and, when it felt like we should make a record this way. Yeah. Right. And I think it, it helped that Bubba and I had a, um, a recording of all these things that we didn't like because we could go back and we could like you said about certain chords say well why do you always play that note with that chord i mean it's on every single one of these things it was probably just because we had learned a chord and we were playing it too enthusiastically or something but we had that record of all that stuff and so we could be irritated by that that you know set of four track recordings going sure. back and, and, you know, Tinch was so awesome, too, or, or it was all fortuitous. I mean, Tinch is an incredible guitar player, but he started playing with us at a time in his life when he wasn't really sure he wanted to um, keep playing music. He had been in a really big rock band in uh, Dallas. Um, and, uh, you know, for us, it was a big deal that Tinch was going to play with. So we're like, oh, Tinch, you know, from a band called The End, uh, or End Over End, or I guess they were called The End and then End Over End. And, um, and Tinch was like, you know, all I really want to do is just sit back here, hide inside my hair, and play some sustained notes. So this is perfect for me. Yeah. Um, and I think most other people would say, I don't want to be in a band where I play seven notes per song. Right. Um, Tinch was like, I, that's too yeah, he was to He was totally cool with it. He was, it just... Yeah. And, and then he liked, you know, every, everyone liked the way it all fit together. And so restraint never felt like a sacrifice for anybody. And if yeah. that was a ethos of ours, it, it worked for us all. That's so cool. To, that's so cool to me. I was thinking also about how uh, Trini Martinez on the drums, obviously, you yeah. need, you need a particular drummer for that band too. You need somebody who is, very much focused on the architecture of the song itself and on creating tension and providing, you know, some grounding forces, but often very sparse uh, playing. And so, yeah. so, I mean, it really does sound like it's like the right group of people uh, who are vibing on a, on a similar idea. I wonder, People cite Spaceman 3, uh, Joy Division, The Velvet Underground. I also know Talk Talk was like a reference point. Were you guys already into those Talk Talk records by that point? The uh, the last couple, the last two Talk oh, Talk records? Yeah, I mean, we were with them every step of the way. I don't think we own the first record, but, you know, or, or at least that record with the song Talk 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 Talk, you know? Yeah. All you ever mean is Talk Talk. We knew that song and we kind of liked it. And when It's My Life came out, we bought it. When The Color of Spring came out, we thought, oh my God, you know, what? this is incredible. This is like uh, nothing. And then, uh, you know, we felt that way even more about the, the Spirit of Eden. And yeah, those, those records were, I, you know, I think a big influence on us. Um, and, and Trini is incredible, you know, just not to let that go. I mean, you know, Trini is... Trini actually has formal training in drumming. He went to college and was in the drum, um, whatever it was called, like the drum corps. And so he can do all this incredible stuff on a snare drum and he can he could read drum music. And um, I think Trini was always, you know, happy to do whatever the song needed to, you know, sacrifice it all for the song. And, and Chris Wheat was the same way. Um, but yeah, we, I, you know, we had influences and I, but I, I think we also kind of just, you know, like I said, we're paring things down and yeah. finding what we were the least, 
the least irritated by and and it may be sort of accidental that we sounded like if, if we sounded like spaceman three that would have been more accidental because that that wasn't really one of our points of reference but i just don't really know the music all that well so not, nothing against them sure were there specific texas groups that that i mean because i as i as i made reference to at the start of the interview texas has got like a pretty incredible pedigree when it comes to you know, strange and interesting music. I think of obviously the Butthole Surfers, and there's connections there via the the label that you guys signed to in the early days. Um, but I also think of like Thirteenth Floor Elevators or Doug Som, like all these people who have like these really unique takes on what they're doing. They don't feel like they're uh, part of a trend so much as sort of striking out on their own. Was there any regional like? when you think about the influence of the place itself, do you feel like that enters into the picture somehow? Uh, I don't really think so. Cause we, we were, it, it's, it's kind of hard to, to, to believe now that, that, you know, when we would go out and play shows, we were on bills with really hardcore bands like Ed Hall and Crust and bands like that. And, and we just, there was, I mean, there were many times when we were sitting at the dinner table before a show at a club somewhere and saying, you know, what's the, what's our, the hardest stuff we have so they don't kill us. Yeah. <laughs> the audience that, you know, with beer bottles or whatever. And then we would just realize, oh, you know, we just have to, to do our, what we do. And, but it was weird because there was, we weren't on, uh, well, that's that's the kind of atmosphere it was, and so no, we didn't really have anything to do musically with with anything that was going on. I I, I think that's true, and I and from another angle, I'd say that, that the the influence of Texas that you may have been, or the common um, thread that runs through some of those bands you mentioned, the the out of stepness. I think that there's there was something to that because. You know, we were we did end up being on a Texas label, but um, it wasn't you know it wasn't a very big label, and it it got I think you know increasingly bigger as as we were on it, and then um, uh, spun off to this other label that uh, called Emperor Jones that Craig Stewart was running, and you know, Bubba may remember this better than I do, but I mean, you you were you know situated in Texas, and you thought. There's Chicago and there's Touch and Go. There's, you know, the East Coast with a bunch of labels and there's the West Coast with a bunch of labels. What do you do if you're in Texas? Um, I think if you were in those other three zones, because there were labels there, you know, and I mean, Discord might be the best example of this. You know, you had to be from that city to be on that list. And, um, you know, you you probably were like, maybe we should sound like these bands. Maybe we should sound a little more like this. I mean, it's, it's like a version of what Bubba was saying. Maybe we should sound a little bit more like Crust if we're opening for him. Um, and, and, but, you know, we didn't, we weren't really influenced by that because we didn't even have the option. Um, and when we got on Trance, you know, King said, you guys don't sound like anything on this label. And that's okay because the label doesn't need to sound right um, like, like the bands Bubba mentioned. But, but, you know, Texas being kind of neither this nor that was sort of liberating. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it's the exact same, but I think about how, you know, I'm in Arizona, Phoenix, and I think about the, some of the weird bands that came out of here, you know, uh, Sun City Girls and Meat Puppets. And, mm-hmm. and, right. and it's like, we're, we're not that far from L.A., but, but we are like a world removed from L.A., you know? So it's like, I kind of I get what, what you're saying there about the sort of, there's there are these middle zones where you're not you're not you're not aligned with one. We're not West Coast enough, you know. Uh, yeah, right. To right. really count, right? And so, I think sometimes in these areas where there's less of a defined aesthetic or regional sensibility, you end up with stuff that like like who sounds like exactly like the Meat Puppets? Nobody sounds exactly like the Meat Puppets, you know. Uh, and I think it's the same with, with Bedhead, that it's really interesting. I did, you know, I once talked with Alan Sparhawk from Lowe and, and Mimi as well. Um, 
shout out to Mimi uh, Parker for listeners who might not know. She's fighting cancer right now, so our best wishes to her. Um, but they talked to me, too, about about how they would play shows with hardcore bands or punk bands and and maybe, like, relish the <laughs> discomfort they were <laughs> inspiring. It doesn't sound like it quite was the same for you guys. Well, it de- I think oh, it depends I mean, on it, when it, it was. It, this was that was yeah. maybe earlier on. Sure, Bob was talking maybe ninety one or ninety two or something. But I think by the time, uh, you know, ninety three, ninety four, it was a little different. And yeah, and I think even I think Bob is more uh, uh, giving you a sense of you know what we said as we were kind of sweating it out, thinking what's going to happen when we do the thing that we do. Well, right. But everything we did was so regimented, you know, so like tightly structured. Anyway, we had no choice. Yeah. What else? Um, you weren't you weren't able to bust out the thirty second hot for teacher cover to win them right. over. That's right. That is right. When things went really bad, Trini would take vocals and I would get on drums, and he would scream like he was an. You know, we we would play different kinds. Of, that 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 rarely happened. Yeah, that just happened a couple times. Well, and the other thing too that I've now that I'm just you know you're making me think about this stuff. You know, a lot of the songs from the first Bedhead record and the first EP, a couple of those songs date back to the 80s, too. So, you know, our whole feeling was that that we just sort of had our heads down figuring out how to make these songs that we were hanging on to because we thought there was some sort of kernel in there that, but we, we kept, like Matt said, you know, stripping something down yeah. or or what are reworking it and not only stripping things down, we were slowing things down too. you know, like right. there was a lot of stuff that we were just playing faster in the eighties. And so stuff like, well, you know, half of the first record and a few songs from the, the first EP are slowed down, pared down versions of stuff we were doing, you know, way before those records came out, like as much as five years before. So I just felt like they were they they there was no way they were even influenced by the other things that were going on in the mid nineties because they were late eighties. Sure. And sure. It was just that we were kind of trying to make them work. So we were just thinking, you know, this it was I think a living well and and some of the others that we just thought, yeah, you know, this is it's just good. There's something there that's good about it, but it's just not working at this speed and um and and with the viola or whatever in it you know it just it feels you know goofy yeah but then you slow it down and make it heavier with three guitars and then it worked and that was four or five years later yeah yeah we were we were slow we were slow to figure these things out (laughs) it's funny that you mentioned the speed because like when you listen through it's like how many of these like i would read a bunch of reviews of stuff from the new year and they'll be like you know comparatively peppy to the bedhead stuff or whatever and it's like a fast song for you guys is still not not that fast you know (laughs) but i but i love that and and go ahead oh no go ahead (laughs) well i was gonna say so by the time we get to 98 the final the final bedhead record transaction de novo that's another favorite and it was really you guys had already sort of like uh, attracted attention at that point that record got some really good reviews and was really lauded did that change who was showing up at the shows at that point what did the things shift at that point I, I think we, you know, I think things started to change for us. Uh, I mean, if, if um, you know, we, we could play two nights in San Francisco, two nights in New York, maybe two nights in Chicago, uh, maybe a, a couple other cities I'm, I'm not thinking of. Yeah. And that was, wasn't that between kind of after Beheaded? Yeah, and, I guess, Sure. I mean, I, and I, I, yeah. I, I'm directing that at Bubba too. And, and, um, uh, it, I, it was, it was, I think because, that was because those were, pro- those were probably the biggest Austin shows was, were between 96 and 98. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking of San Francisco and New York and we were, we were doing yeah. two nights on, on those. And then, so transaction came out and we did, you know, this final tour, uh, you know, it was a three month tour and same 
same thing happened. And, you know, they were, they were, you know, for us, they were big shows and went to Europe and the same thing happened there. And, and, uh, you know, but, you know, that's. But you, bro, you still had that. What was frustrating was what was always frustrating. Even, even when things felt like they were, uh, growing, they, you know, like, we would play a couple of nights in San Francisco or something like that. And then like a pretty good show in LA, but then, you know, San Diego and Albuquerque and, and, uh, you know, they would, they'd be okay. You know, they'd be like, not, but not nearly what those four corners of the country were. Yeah. Um, we, we, it was really, kind of, is, yeah. It, I remember we, well, we would, we would sit there and say, you know, I mean, it, it's we were spread out all over the place and our biggest audiences were spread out all over the place. And if we had all been in one place and all of our audiences were in one place, it would have been a lot easier to right. make the rest, not, not feel dispirited by, um, you know, some of the audiences that weren't that great, but yeah, no, you think things were, I mean, you know, I forget what the question was, but I guess maybe that, I guess it just describes, means, yeah. Yeah, I guess I just mean like I'm imagining like that this feeling of this pretty singular project is like catching on with people and then you have another a record that is really lauded and and really praised and but it seems like at this point I mean like cuz the the band kind of ends pretty soon thereafter, right? I mean, after the after yeah. the that record, what was but, it that sort of inspired the wind down and then how did that kind of manifest into the new project? How did that transition work uh well i i i wanted to go um i started to do a phd and i thought i you know i want to finish it and um and i remember getting really you know i would always get sick when we would tour and i i you know i was having panic attacks i was having anxiety and not necessarily because of playing um could in fact not really because of playing because of other things but Right. You know, that would figure into it. And I, I, I was physically having a hard time, maybe mentally having a hard time. And uh, when we were when we were playing, when we were touring. And so, you know, Tinch wanted to do the same. And um, Bub and I thought, well, this whole configuration is kind of hard. And um, let's just, you know, maybe try some, you know, we'll, you know, Bob and I said to each other, we're going to keep playing music together, but maybe it's time to just, you know, th this, this band had you know, very much become the, the five people who were in it. And we, we never even considered, you know, we wrote the songs and, you know, it was our band, I guess we never considered playing with other people. It was yeah. Trini and Tench and we, and the two of us that without a doubt, it was unthinkable. Um, and, uh, so, you know, I started going to school and Tim started going to school and doing his own thing. And I, I knew, um, you know, Bob and I uh, were still trading tapes and putting together songs. And, and um, at one point, you know, I can play drums fine. And so I was just going to play drums. But at one point, you know, Brokaw, who I knew, come and his band come from the 90s and, and Bedhead had played together. And so... That's sort of funny. Broke on it. We played together in 93 or 94 or something. And this is what you did back then. You were like, hey, man, what's your address? I'll send you a letter. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I send him a letter. He sends me a letter. Another one sends one back. And so we were correspondents. And then we'd see each other on the road. And it was like, yeah, you know, I got your last three letters. And it was awesome. I, I missed that. But that's so we, you know, that's how we knew each other. And when we were going to go, we thought, Bob and I, well, let's go record this stuff for the new year. We said to, to Brokaw, well, would you play drums in the studio so we don't have to try to do everything? He's like, yeah, sure. Uh, and then we thought, well, it'd be good if we had bass too. So uh, we knew Mike D'Onofrio from playing with him and his, his band. He had a band called Saturnine in the 90s. And so we asked D'Onofrio. And then Peter Schmidt had been the substitute member for Tinch and Bedhead when Tinch was was um, in Russia for these long stints because he's a... He's a, like a Russian scholar and he was training for all that stuff back then. Um, so we asked Peter if he would 
if he would be part of this, you know, what emerged as this band too. And it, it just kind of came together like that. Yeah, that's fantastic. And then, you know, those records have been great as well. At that point, I mean, what you've, you know, have, I, I mean, I guess I've just, are you working on stuff now together? I mean, what, what's, what is, what's sort of the status? Cause the bedhead retrospective comes out and it's fantastic and turns a bunch of people on numero group doing, I think really, really cool work. Um, in terms of showcasing and exploring alternative rock of the nineties and, and independent rock of the nineties, it's a really cool thing to have a label like that, put something together you make this incredible thing. There's a new New Year record right after that. I know, obviously, Bubba, you've been working on your your ambient stuff with Sigh of Relief, which also rules. But I wonder, you know, what what what's your relationship like with music and each other in that musical, you know, uh, form? What's that like now? I think we 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 might have another record by like 2040. Okay, Maybe 25 something like that. <laughs> That's I'm 25. 25 more years and we'll have it done. I appreciate the optimism that, that that'll be yeah. a, a thing that, a thing that could happen. <laughs> There's a, I don't, I don't know math theorems enough, but it's like, you know, one year between the first couple of bedhead releases, then two years, yeah. then, then it jumps to like four and then there's a prime number in there. And then it's nine. And so I don't know. It's like, I, I would say something like, you know, 23, 23 more years. And then it'll, it'll mathematically make well, sense. And I just heard, Matt, I, I, I just got this email right before the call because I, I emailed April at Touch and Go to get some more LPs from her. Yeah. And she said she said that uh, she said she had a couple of the end is near, but she said newness ends and the self-titled record were getting repressed. And I wrote her back saying, okay, well, that's cool. How long do you think it'll be? And she said nine to 12 months. Oh yeah. Yeah. The pressing <laughs> plants, it's a, it's a real problem right there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 And so, so the reason I bring that up is to say, you know, we say, Oh yeah, the overseas record, it'll be done in December and it'll come out next year. Well, it's probably going to be like 2025 before the <laughs> right. final record. But that's cool. Yeah. Maybe, so, maybe, maybe independent music is getting a little more on your level in terms of taking, taking right. time. And, yeah, and, maybe. Exactly. Which is yeah, may, which is is an okay thing, maybe. <laughs> maybe so. I, I it's, there's yep. a lot. It's a lot out there to process. If there was less of it, it would at least be easier to manage. But um, yeah, I no. I mean, it's 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 just it, it's yeah. I mean, everything just kind of comes more slowly the older you get. And well, I mean, maybe not for everybody, but that does seem to be pretty um, common. So, yeah, yeah, you know, I guess. I guess yeah, I mean, and then they're just they're just certain things like it's crazy to think about now. But, you know, the first bedhead tours that we did, you could book that stuff like a, one or two months in advance. And, right. you know, it was just you're basically heading out, you know, the a month or so after you booked it. And these days, I, I can't imagine what people are doing. It's it's yeah, it's 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 it's, it's I mean, such a different yeah. world. Uh, sure, sure. Yeah. Well, but it's it's great because Snow is a, a perfect example of the fact that you guys have just kept it. You've kept being awesome at what you're doing, and so uh, however however long the next thing takes, I, I think it'll be worth it. And uh, man, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to hang out and talk with me about all this stuff. Oh no, thanks for asking um, great insightful questions. I mean, uh, and for wanting to do this. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's it's fun to re, fun to relive it. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate your listen. You can support the show by checking us out on Patreon. 
If you're down, leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you listen so you never miss an episode. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I write, host, and produce transmissions. Our audio is edited by Andrew Horton. And our show is executive produced by Justin Gage, Aquarium Drunkard's founder. Don't miss The Aquarium Drunkard Show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. PST on Sirius XMU. Transmissions is part of the TalkHouse Podcast Network, so be sure to visit them to check out all of the other great shows on the network. Thanks so much for listening. We will be back next week with our final episode of the season featuring the remarkable Kid Congo Powers. Hope you will return. All right, take care until then. This transmission is concluded. <laughs>